healthcare is broken, and the healthcare industry is not going to fix itself. Reconstructing Healthcare is a podcast series where we interview the rebel entrepreneurs working tirelessly to disrupt the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we break down everything that's wrong with the current healthcare system and provide you with a blueprint to create better results. Now, here's your host, Michael Maneri. All right. Hello, this is Michael Maneri, and I want to welcome everyone to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast. Today, our guest is Gabriel Mecklenburg from Hinge Health. Gabriel, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. So here's the game plan. What we seek to do here on this show is challenge status quo purchasing and educate our audience on alternative ways to either lower their healthcare costs or improve value for their members. Sound like something you want to help with? Yeah, absolutely. That's what we're all about. All right. So to get us started, I'm going to read a brief bio about you here, Gabriel. So our audience has a little bit of context about uh, who they're listening to, and uh, and then we'll jump into it. So Gabriel Mecklenburg is the co-founder and COO of Hinge Health, the number one musculoskeletal solution for employers and health plans, empowering people to reduce chronic pain, opioid use, and unnecessary surgeries. Hinge Health's back and joint pain care pathways combine wearable sensor-guided exercise therapy with behavioral health change support through one-on-one health coaching and education. Ever since a ligament tear ended his days on the judo mat, Gabriel has been passionate about joint health. Originally from Germany, Gabriel graduated top of his class at the University of Cambridge and went on to research musculoskeletal regenerative medicine at Imperial College in London. In his role as COO, Gabriel brings clinical research and experience to the deployment of Hinge Health's care pathways. Anything else you'd like to add about yourself, Gabriel? Um, no, that's very comprehensive, uh, very comprehensive bio. I think the the thing that I would just like to highlight because it's you know, maybe a somewhat unique combination uh, amongst founders in the space uh, that a lot of folks, you know, from an enterprise uh, enterprise sales background and such. But both my co-founder and I come from a clinical research background, uh, as well as having been patients with fairly severe musculoskeletal issues in the past. So we both bring the lens of the patient as well as uh, you know quite deep clinical ex- expertise. Um, to the space. Love that. And I, and I want to get into that. So, I mean, you're a young entrepreneur. I will spare you and not ask you your age. Tell us, I mean, what was the background of, of how you became interested in this, you know, via maybe a personal experience and how you decided to launch a startup focused on, you know, musculoskeletal disorders and injuries in the healthcare space? Yeah, absolutely. As you mentioned, um, the initial driver really was my my personal experience. Uh, I was pretty active uh, in judo during my undergrad days in my final year of college. I had a fairly bad knee injury, tore my ACL, went through reconstructive surgery for that about nine months of rehab. And obviously did a lot of research into available treatments for uh, for this particular injury, but through that getting a lot of exposure to musculoskeletal treatments in general. And seeing that, you know, the whole field from a clinical perspective is is pretty behind the times. There's very little that we're doing differently from you know, 30 or 40 years ago, unlike many, many other areas of medicine uh, where we've been seeing pretty impressive advances. So that actually led me then to switch tracks. So I was doing engineering during my undergrads. Uh, and then after finishing that, uh, I actually did a few years of clinical research, as you mentioned, with a focus on regenerative medicine approaches for musculoskeletal injuries. And during that time, I did that for a few years, but really saw you know, in the academic ivory tower, you're pretty far away from the patient. You're pretty far away from actually impacting people's lives. So I got together with my, my co-founder, Dan, who had a very similar personal run-in. He broke his arm and his leg at the same time during a bicycle accident, went through surgery and long rehab for that, and who was in the clinical sciences at Oxford at the time. 
And both of us really wanted to get out there and do something that'll have a meaningful impact on patient lives at scale. And also, we both had the personal histories with musculoskeletal injuries. Uh, we both had the research background. And then once we looked at musculoskeletal health, we saw that unlike, uh, you know, say, obesity, diabetes, prediabetes, mental health, even cancer, there really wasn't anybody tackling musculoskeletal health from a digital health perspective. Yet nobody was really bringing technology to bear, despite MSK being the number one cost driver for many employers. So we knew as patients, things had to be better. We knew as clinical researchers that there was actually a pretty well-researched best practice for how to tackle these conditions. We knew there was a big market opportunity there. And uh, we had seen with companies like Omada and Labongo, who had proven that you know, the sort of behavior change focused care could actually be delivered very, very effectively for musculoskeletal, uh, for uh, chronic conditions in general. I want to talk a little bit more about musculoskeletal claims. I mean, you, you just mentioned, you know, oftentimes can be the number one, you know, cost driver from employers. I think most employers are familiar with the term you know, musculoskeletal claims from the standpoint that they, they see it on a category, as a category on their utilization reports. But I'm not sure the understanding goes much further than that for a good portion of employers, you know, in the broad mar marketplace. So can you give us a little bit of background on what falls within this category of, of musculoskeletal disorders and, and injuries, the prevalence of these conditions, and, and, and what you see as the biggest issues from a care and cost standpoint, you know, in the U.S.? First, to talk a little bit more about what falls into that musculoskeletal bucket. You know, the best way to really break it down is probably into, into three different categories. Um, the first is maybe we can call them minor acute injuries. You know, you, you tweak your knee, you tweak your ankle, you ice it, you rest it for a little while, mm -hmm. you're essentially fine again. The second is serious acute injuries, something like my ACL tear. You're going to need the surgery. You're going to need, go, uh, need to go through the, the proper rehab procedure for that. There isn't a huge amount. Once that injury has occurred, there isn't a huge amount that you can do to save costs at that right. point. And then the third bucket, which is the largest bucket in terms of spend, is really chronic conditions. That's where things like chronic low back pain uh, fit in, chronic joint pain, arthritis. Mm -hmm. um, that's really the biggest driver of cost because, and the biggest driver of avoidable costs, importantly. Because you have so many elective procedures, someone who's been, you know, dealing with their arthritis since they're 40, maybe when they hit 50 or 45, they're talking to the doctor, sends them to a surgeon, they're going to get that knee replacement. But that's actually a huge amount that you can do. Unlike my ACL tear, you know, once the ACL was torn, I needed that surgery. There wasn't really right. much to do about it. With someone like that who's dealing with chronic knee pain, you can absolutely do something about that, you know, with the right care. Uh, as, you had, uh, as you had described earlier, exercise therapy, coaching, education, with the right care, you can absolutely steer people away from surgery and meaningfully improve their quality of life. So that's why you know, at Hinge Health, we focused on that chronic bucket. For minor acute injuries, they generally tend to self-resolve. For serious sure. acute injuries, you, know, you tend to need, need that surgery, but for chronic, that's where you can really do something. And what do you see as the biggest issues from how we're delivering care you know, towards that category today? I mean, ultimately, you know, as we've uh, as we've certainly seen in the in the press in recent years, you know, our approach to dealing with chronic pain is, you know, we cut people open, we pump them full of drugs. You know, that's fundamentally become almost first line care for a lot of these conditions. And the big reason for that is people are looking for a fix. You know, if you're living with chronic pain, you can't go hiking with your spouse, you can't go 
you know, dancing. You can't go kneel down on the on the ground to play with your kids. It hugely affects your life. You you want to fix that. Yes. And people see drugs, people see surgery as a quick fix, and you know, a lot of medical professions uh, professionals certainly play into that. And the care that people actually need to receive, um, it's very high touch care. It's ongoing physical therapy. It's ongoing education about their, their condition. It's really behavior change at a fundamental level. And that sort of high touch behavior change focused care is just not something that fits into a pill or a 15 minute appointment with your primary care physician. And as a result of that, the medical establishment certainly knows what we should be doing for these conditions. You know, if you look at the clinical papers, we've been talking about it for, for the last couple of decades, but they're equally, equally clear on the fact that the current system with face-to-face care just cannot deliver what we know we need to deliver. And so even those people that are, you know, suffering from, you know, chronic conditions who maybe are seeing a physical therapist and, and going to get some, I mean, what do you, what do you think's missing from, from that element as far as, you know, efficacy and, and, you know, generating results? No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, physical therapists are absolutely doing the right thing there. The problem there is just um, that it's still face-to-face care. You know, if you think about your, you know, your, your personal professional situation, how many afternoons do you think you can take off the week to go see a physical therapist? Or if you try to do it in the evenings, finding a babysitter, driving out of your way to do this, you know, even if you have the best insurance, even if you have the highest motivation to do this, just logistically fitting this into your life is incredibly difficult for people who are, you know, working or taking care of a family or whatever else. People have better things to do than take time out of their busy lives to see a physical therapist in person a few times a week. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Let's talk about um, the Hinge Health product and service and, and what you guys are doing differently to try and, you know, solve some of these issues. No, absolutely. So uh, what we've done is, you know, taken what we know about established best practice care and turning that into the three pillar approach to musculoskeletal care, which we have pioneered, which consists of exercise therapy, behavioral health and education. So to talk a little bit more about those, um, you know, through interactive education, participants learn about their pain and how to effectively treat it and importantly, dispelling a lot of misconceptions. So most people coming to the program, for example, think that if their back hurts, the best thing they can do is lie in bed and rest, which is actually the exact opposite of what they should be doing at that time. And there are many misconceptions that stand in people's way like that. Secondly, in terms of behavioral health, in terms of behavior change, each participant works with a, with a personal health coach who provides support and motivation uh, to really create behavior change that lasts. And the fact that we're using coaches and not, for example, physical therapists is actually relevant here. That's not, you know, we're not doing this to save money. We're doing this because health coaches are specializing, the healthcare professionals specializing in behavior change. They are actually the best people to help, to help people with a chronic condition like this change their behavior in a sustainable way. And then the third pillar, exercise therapy. So they were using sensor-guided exercise therapy that provides real-time feedback and instructions to participants so they can have the confidence they're completing the exercises correctly. And this whole thing, obviously, they can do whenever and wherever they want. And when we look at our data, we see spikes you know, around 6 in the morning, around 12 noon, around 8 p.m. at night. Um, those are the times where it actually fits into people's lives. And not a lot of people can make it to the physical therapist at you know, 6 in the morning or 8 at night. Right. Right, right, right. I want to talk a little bit more about each of those components. First is the 
the education, you know, to your point, if somebody's back hurts, you know, they, you know, really the, the, what they think they should do is just lay in bed and, and, you know, potentially that's not the right thing for them to do. So tell us a little bit more about the, the type of education that you're delivering and how you're delivering it to, to a potential patient. You know, I've had lower back pain since I was uh, 12 uh, via soccer injury and I've, I figured out a way to, to live with it. You know, most initially through physical therapy and understanding that I needed to, you know, increase the strength of my core to compensate for that weakness. But tell us, how are you engaging a patient in starting that, you know, education process? The way the education looks in this program, it's a personalized curriculum of educational pieces where each week um, there are one or two pieces of, uh, you know, written or multimedia based education about various aspects of their, of their condition. For example, someone who is indicated to us that they're interested in surgery might get, uh, you know, some front-loaded education about um, the different surgical options and the pros and cons to make sure that they're going into that decision well-informed. Someone who's overweight might get additional articles about nutrition and so forth. That's the way it's it's personalized to them. All the education that we've uh, that we've built is is developed in house. Mm-hmm. Um, we're obviously leveraging a lot of existing best practices. Uh, you know, as, as mentioned, people have been been working on this area for a while to establish what best practices are. This, for example, one area of of medicine um, that really in the last decade that has emerged called pain neuroscience education, which has demonstrated pretty remarkable outcomes through education alone, helping people understand where their pain comes from how their pain works, seeing it as, you know, seeing chronic pain as an overactive danger signal rather than an enemy to be fought. Just by changing people's minds, you can see actually significant reductions in chronic pain without doing anything else, just educating people effectively about their condition. So that's the type of, uh, of research that a clinical team is leveraging to really build out an effective education curriculum. Educating people that uh, pain is not something necessarily to just be uh, solved, but, you know, something to, to think about, you know, where it's coming from and, and why it's happening. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. So seeing, you know, chronic pain is often something that emerges, you know, from an initial healthy response. You know, you hurt your back at sending, you know, danger signals to your brain saying, yeah, hey, so there's something wrong here. Make sure that you, that you take care uh, take care of yourself. But over time, if you get stuck in that loop, you know, it essentially reinforces the mental pathways so that even if the original um, physical injury resolves itself, the pain pathway might still be there. So you essentially have this danger pathway firing in a way that's no longer helpful. It was initially a helpful response, but over time it becomes overactive and unhelpful. Got it. Makes sense. So, so let's move over to the, um, the exercise therapy, uh, bucket here. So tell us about how you're, you're delivering, you know, this to a patient. And, and let's just use me as an example. You know, I signed up for the platform. I mentioned I've had a history of lower back pain and, you know, am I engaging with you as a, as a provider per se, you know, how, how am I initially as a patient getting engaged into this process of, of physical therapy? Yeah, sure. Let me let me walk you through the whole patient journey there. So, you know, let's say um, you're signing up for the program. You've learned about uh, Hinge Health through through your employer. You might have gotten a postcard in the mail or an email. You come to a dedicated website that we've set up where you can learn a bit more about the program and where you can go through our online clinical screener. 
So that's a 10 to 15 minute medical questionnaire that we're using to really establish, are you someone that we can help with this program? You know, mm -hmm. we don't want to take anyone. We want to make sure that this is actually something that's right for you. And those are the same sorts of questions that your primary care physician might ask you if you come in with back pain to make sure that we know exactly what you actually have. Sure. After you go through that, assuming you pass that step, we then send you um, our kit in the mail. And that kit actually includes a set of wearable motion sensors, as well as a tablet computer, which is our app already installed, already paired to the sensors to make that a really, really streamlined process for the user, particularly a lot of the older folks that we mostly yep. work with with these conditions. So you sign into the app, you get started, you know, you have a first um, you know, assessment where we learn a little bit more about your level of fitness, what exercises you're comfortable with or not. We start tailoring the program to you. And around that time, you also have your first call uh, with your health coach, where again, we're learning a bit more about your motivation. Why do you actually want to tackle this pain? Um, you know, a lot of people, um, it, it's not about, you know, going from a, from a six to a 2.5 on a, on a scale, right? For them, it's about, hey, I want to play with my grandkids or I want to be able to walk my daughter down the aisle, right? That's actually the underlying motivation there. So that's what the coaches then want to tap into, mostly addressing any questions that you might still have about the program. And then, then you really get started. So on average, about three times a week, you go to through a, a 10 to 20 minutes um, exercise therapy session where we are using the sensors that you put on your body. So for mm -hmm. example, for, for the back pain program, it would be a sensor on your chest and a sensor on your lower back that can track the movement of your body in three dimensions as you're doing each exercise. So as you're doing the exercises on the tablet screen, you see a representation of your body moving on screen, telling you, hey, move into this target zone. Okay, a little bit too far, go back a little bit. Okay, hold here for five seconds. Now go back to your starting position. And it really walks you through, it takes you by the hand and walks you through each exercise step-by-step. Step. And obviously the, the added benefit there is you know, the coach knows exactly what you have been doing or what you haven't been doing. And you know that the coach knows what you haven't been doing, which, uh, you know, it sounds like you've done a fair bit of physical therapy. I've done that as well. You know, I'm, I haven't always been the most honest when telling my physical therapist about uh, completing all my exercises every day as I was supposed to. So having that objective tracking of adherence is, is super important. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that for, for a second. Adherence. Um, it's funny. I think when I, when I hear the word adherence, I think of, uh, you know, adherence with, uh, you know, medication per se, but, you know, as it applies to physical therapy, you know, in, in the traditional case where somebody is going to see a, a, a live person, wh what is the adherence rate or the completion rate, you know, of a course of physical therapy? It's fairly atrocious. The data is obviously hard to come by because you have to, you know, take people's word for it. What have you actually been doing? between these sessions, but even just in terms of completing an in-person course of physical therapy, you know, adherence is below 30% when you look at the clinical research. And then obviously adherence in between sessions is far lower than that still. Um, so, you know, if, if you think about what we're doing here is, uh, you know, to an extent, we are obviously developing new best practice care, but to a large extent, we're also just ensuring that people are actually doing what we know they should be doing. Right. So we're just in the final stages of publishing a large 10,000 patient study where you know, adherence is one of the things that we're looking at in detail. And we see almost three in four patients completing the entire three-month initial core program, which is completely unheard of in musculoskeletal 
care in terms of adherence numbers. Well, and, and, and I would imagine because there's that accountability, right? The, the uh, you know, exercise therapist or the health coach uh, is able, because they're tracking when they log in, they can actually see what they've completed. There's, there's some level of accountability, right? Yeah, I mean, I would love to tell you there's one silver bullet that we figured out how to how to get patients to adhere to their uh, to their treatment program that they wouldn't want to do. But it, it's really hundreds of tiny silver bullets. Obviously, what we're doing with the coach, uh, what the coach is doing with the patient um, is a huge part of that. But then even that just saying, you know, health coaching helps with adherence that hides a very complex interaction that we've been working on for the last five years to refine some of the basic things like i mentioned earlier you know really tapping into people's underlying motivations it's a technique called motivational interviewing that all of our mm -hmm. coaches are trained in to really understand at at the root okay you don't want to you know, reduce their pain your pain from a six to a 2.5 you want to play with your kids and then tapping into that again and again throughout the uh the program but there are you know dozens if not hundreds of little approaches that uh, that our coaches are, that our coaches are using yeah. in that regard but a big factor in in adherence is you know this three pillar approach which uh, which we have pioneered in this area you know the exercise therapy is is important the fact that you have the the real time instructions as well as the adherence tracking the objective adherence tracking that contributes the education that people are actually understanding why what they're doing is helping them is important as a foundation for helping people change behavior and then obviously everything that we're doing with the coaches. So it, it's a topic I could talk uh, talk about for for hours on end, uh, but it's it's complicated and it's very rewarding that uh, uh, that we've really started to crack that for for this uh, this patient population. Very good. It sounds like there's there's lots of progress being made. Let's talk about the coaches for for a second, or or even the exercise therapists. How how are you guys bringing these people into the program, and how are you ensuring you know quality around uh, the type of people that you're bringing to be you know health coaches or exercise therapists? Yeah, that's a um, a great question. Something that certainly we've thought about a lot: how to ensure uh, ensure quality in that that team, particularly given the size we're at, um, close to 100 coaches. Uh, at this point, working working for us, so quality assurance has obviously been top of our minds. There, you know, we've been fortunate that we're a very attractive employer for health coaches. I mean, a lot of health coaches still working in the traditional you know, health plan setting or such. Mm -hmm. um, so, working for a a rising star in the digital health field is is a pretty attractive proposition. Um, so we uh, we really get our pick off the of the employee base there. Um, we've we've got a pretty streamlined um, application recruitment process for for that group now. And uh, you know the team that we've built, we have uh, we have people who all have experience uh, health coaching, most of the time significant uh, significant number of years experience. Um, everybody in coaching team. Uh, within the next couple of months, I think we will have reached 100% board certification uh, within the team. Um, you know, recently, uh, board certification for health coaches has become a thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and we certainly jumped on that very quickly to make sure that, that everybody in the team goes through that really rigorous accreditation process. And then we've built a lot of tools and systems for quality assurance on the job. And that we're seeing in detail how people are doing, that we can intervene very quickly if someone's mm -hmm. numbers are slipping. And uh, there's a very rigorous onboarding process as well. You know, it's, it's always been important to us that we're not using part-time contractors. We're using full-time employees as a health coaches, which means that we can afford to take them through 
um, you know, two weeks of just full-time training before they ever start interacting with, with the user, um, and then several months more of, of structured active on-the-job training. I guess some of the, the clinical outcomes and results that you're seeing within your, your, um, you know, your book of business, your participant base, anything you can share with us as far as you know, um, meaningful results that an employer would be interested in? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's talk through a few things there. So the first is obviously just engagement. I mean, that's ultimately where the majority of programs that, that currently exist are, are falling short. So as mentioned, for the people who start the program, almost three in four actually complete the initial three-month core program, uh, which is you know an order of magnitude higher than you see with in-person care and certainly also with other um, digital MSK programs. Yeah. And you know, that engagement doesn't just mean they're opening the app. Uh, when we're talking about engagement, we're actually talking about exercise therapy sessions. And over the course of those initial three months, on average, we see north of 30 exercise therapy sessions completed per participant. So, you know, that's strapping on your senses, doing 10 to 20 minutes of exercises uh, around three times a week. So that's it in terms of engagement. Satisfaction is obviously something that employers are looking at. They're looking to use yep. their benefits to retain and attract people. So we have a net promoter score in the mid 60s, which is, uh, you know, in line more with, you know, high end consumer brands like Apple, which again is somewhat unusual in the, in the healthcare space. Then obviously pain is the primary clinical outcome that we're looking at for, uh, for these programs. And uh, we're seeing north of a 60% reduction in pain reported over the course of the program. And just to put that in perspective, that's about twice the reduction in pain that you see from putting someone on opioids. Uh, and obviously the, the side effects of, of exercise and education are somewhat more positive than, <laughs> than yes. addictive painkillers. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, cost savings is the next thing that obviously employers are looking mm -hmm. at. Um, so we're looking at surgery intent um, for, for our participants. So we ask them before the program, how likely are they are to have surgery in the next 12 months? And then ask them again after the program. And we see about a two-thirds reduction in surgery intent. And obviously, these being elective procedures, surgery intent sure. actually matters a lot. I mean, if yep. people want to have surgery, they're going to find a surgeon who's going to pocket that $50,000 to do any replacements. That's right. And we have actually validated that uh, surgery intent is a realistic predictor of surgery in claims-based studies with, uh, with a couple of our clients. So we do see about a two-thirds reduction in the number of surgeries. That's really where the core part of the story ends. But then obviously, if you're tackling a, um, a chronic condition like chronic lumbar pain or chronic joint pain, um, it's interwoven with other conditions. Sure. In the case of musculoskeletal conditions, it's really obesity and mental health that are the big kind of sister conditions, if you will. Mm -hmm. We see a significant impact on weight for people who go through the program. Um, you know, obviously not at quite the level of a dedicated weight loss program but mm -hmm. you know you know 40 or 50 percent of the improvement level of improvement that you know dedicated dpp or weight loss programs see in terms of uh, mental health we see about a 50 percent reduction or slightly north of that so 50 to 60 percent reduction in reported depression and anxiety for people going through the program which you know makes sense if you're tackling chronic pain and disability you're going to have a pretty big impact on on people's mental well-being sure sure um and then there's productivity, obviously, as well. We're seeing significant reductions in, in uh, absenteeism and presenteeism. We obviously see all of these important uh, as important. They're somewhat 
less easy to quantify in terms of financial ROI for the employees, which is why yeah. we talk about those seconds. But obviously, they paint a really holistic picture of quality of life improvements that we're able to drive for for our patients. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of that makes sense, uh, especially the NPS scores. You know, if you can take somebody who's you know in such pain that they can't play with their child, or you know any any other examples that you use, and all of a sudden you've got them to the point where you know they can actually you know, be mobile and do those things. Um, yeah, I, I would imagine the happiness level is going to be up, the productivity, you know, you'd be feeling a lot better about themselves in general, right? No, absolutely. I think one, one of my favorite stories still from one of our patients is you know, maybe a year and a half ago. Or so this was a, a patient called Jenna. She was in, our, in her early 20s. She was a veterinarian and had injured her back at, at work. And, you know, by the time she found out about the program, you know, she had really gotten to the point where, you know, her recently married husband had essentially become her caretaker. You know, they used to be the super active couple going rock climbing and hiking and this and that. And she was essentially lying on the couch. She was popping, you know, eight, op- eight pills, uh, eight doses of opioid painkillers a day. Awesome. Essentially, you know, self-medicating, not just the pain, but also the depression that came along with that, just numbing herself. You know, within six weeks of being on the program, she had completely weaned herself off the painkillers. She was getting active again with her friends, with her, with her husband. You know, I still remember when I visited her in Arizona to do a video testimonial with her. And, uh, you know, she dropped this bombshell on me saying, hey, I actually just found out I'm pregnant. Uh, we're expecting our first child, which wouldn't have been possible with all the painkillers and the back pain that I was dealing with before. And, you know, talk about customer satisfaction, right? <laughs> yeah, no, that's amazing. That's awesome. I love that story. Very cool. It sounds like there can be a lot of good, um, you know, primary benefits, but also some, some great secondary benefits for employees um, who are suffering from, you know, these types of conditions. What is the, what, what's the fee structure for an employer to, you know, participate in this program and, you know, have, you know, any of their employees, you know, voluntarily, you know, sign up for it? No, absolutely. So, um, cost is based on utilization and on outcomes. So there's no PPM fee and we are putting a fees at risk for our outcomes. So there's one flat fee per engaged user that allows them access to any of our care pathways. So that's back pain, knee pain, hip pain, shoulder pain, neck pain, uh, access to any of those pathways for a 12 month period. And then we guarantee at least a one-to-one ROI based on surgery avoidance realized within 12 months. And we're putting 100% of our fees at risk in terms of hitting at least a one-to-one ROI. But we've never had to pay out a single dollar on that guarantee. Um, Typically, what employers see is between a three to five X year one ROI just based on surgery avoidance. So not even taking into account what I mentioned earlier in terms of obesity, mental health, productivity, Mm -hmm. and such. Mm -hmm. Got it. So it's basically going to be a per participant episode of care fee, right? For, you know, going through one of the clinical pathways there. And, and I mean, really, there's, there's really no risk, right? If you guys are willing to put, no. you know, a hundred percent of your, your fees at risk, you know, the employer doesn't have to do any startup PEPM. Um, are there any implementation costs to get it going? No, no, it's, uh, it's just a utilization based price. So we eat all of the implementation costs, any of the marketing costs, um, you know, sending out postcards and such that all comes out of our pocket. All right. That's what, that's what on this show we like to call an aligned incentive. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I yeah, that. no, that's, that's, that's important to us. I mean, we, we always want to balance the two things. We want to make sure that incentives are aligned and it's a simple structure for the fees that it's not a sort of complicated multi-tier, you know, if, if this happens, you pay this, if that happens, you pay this. Uh, we found that employers don't, don't love that trying to present that sort of budget to the CFO. And, you know, overall, just making this uh, as much of a no-brainer and, and as, as easy a lift for, 
for employers has been something we've really focused on. So the vast majority of our clients now pay through medical claims, which means uh, you know they don't have generally don't have to go through the whole budget, budgeting and purchasing process. The costs come out of the same line item as the savings. That makes it pretty easy for them to get that through. Uh, for a growing number of people, a growing number of employers, uh, we're also contracting through the health plan. So taking the whole um, you know legal and purchasing process uh, out of the equation there as well. And then obviously the whole implementation process, we try to make that as turnkey as possible as well. You know, we've gone through 100 plus deployments now. We've really refined that. You know, if the employer doesn't want to get more involved, they don't really have to do anything apart from having a look at the final marketing materials to make sure that they're fine and introducing us to whoever provides their eligibility files. And that's that's essentially the amount of lift required from their end. Yeah, that's great. And so essentially, I mean, you guys are billing as a as a provider. I mean, it just comes across. Yeah. It would go to the TPA, uh, you know, as a provider billing a, a claim to the TPA, no more or less. Exactly. You know, we've worked through the legalities as well. It's um, eligible as a disease management program for first dollar coverage, even on the high deductible health plans. So that means uh, no costs ever hit the member's pocket, which, you know, for a lot of other modalities like physical therapy, you know, if you're on a high deductible health plan, you're paying the full $200 for every session yeah. out of your own pocket. That's a big barrier in its own right. So actually figuring out how to implement it in such a way uh, that this can be entirely paid by the employer is something that um, you know, our clients have really appreciated as well. That is huge. And I'm so glad you mentioned that. Um, it's it's something that I, I think, um, you know, sometimes we forget uh, to talk about, you know, when, when a service like this is billed as a claim, you know, the, the prevalence of high deductible plans is so, so high these days that I think that's a, that's a great benefit, you know, to be able to, um, you know, be covered as, as a, as preventable care and, and for the employee who's, you know, taking advantage of the service, really not be exposed to any out-of-pocket costs. So, uh, kudos to you guys for, for making that happen. So let's see, I mean, you guys are a fairly new company, you know, how many employers or, or rather employee lives, you know, are you currently working with today? Yeah, so it's been uh, it's been a good year for us. Uh, you know, we've we've hit the steep part of the hockey stick uh, growth curve. Um, so we're at uh, north of a hundred large enterprise customers that we're working with now, um, covering a total of about three million lives that that Hinge Health is available to. Yeah, we've we've never lost a single one of those customers uh, to date, which we're very excited about. Which you know, a big part of that is is what I mentioned, uh, just a very streamlined process making their lives as easy as possible, but then obviously demonstrating the outcomes we've been able to demonstrate as well. Absolutely. And so I would imagine there's, there's no real limitation as far as, um, you know, types of industries or groups that you're willing to work with. I'm sure they need to be self-funded. What's the, the smallest employer that you, you guys are willing to work with uh, to date? Right now, uh, we're working with employers with 2,000 or more members on the health plans. Okay. But we are working with a number of health plans to lower that Lower that number, obviously, that requires pretty tight integration with the health plan. So HCSC, so Blue Cross of Illinois, Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico. For them, we're going down to a few hundred, but with most of the implementation that managed by the health plan. So over the, the next couple of years, we're looking to expand that sort of model more and more. Um, but it also requires, uh, you know changing the course of some pretty big ships with, uh, yes. with the big national health plans, yes. uh, which it's, is happening. It's just happening slowly as, as it always is, but we're very excited about some of the nascent collaborations there. Very good. Very good. But for, for a regular employer who's working with the TPA to manage their self-funded plan, the, 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 the lower end of the threshold is 2000 employees, 2000 members on the plan, 2000 members. Got it. Got it. You know, I think the service is 
is uh, awesome for somebody who's suffered from <laughs> lower back pain for a long time. Is there anything that you guys are really excited about um, now in the business, any improvements or, or expansions to sort of the product line that you're, you're working on that you wouldn't mind sharing with the audience? Yeah, absolutely. So for, for most of the 2019 season, um, you know, we're going to market with uh, the back pain and the knee pain programs, which mm -hmm. together cover you know, around 45 or 50% of, of musculoskeletal claims. We've now rolled out uh, the hip pain and the shoulder pain program, and we're um, close to rolling out the neck pain program in the next, um, next month or two as well. So just completing the portfolio there where we'll cover, once that's completed, um, in a starting in Q1, we'll cover about 75 to 80% of MSK spend with these various programs. Um, and the rest is really the long tail of things that you can't do all that yep. much about. Yep. And uh, then obviously the study that I mentioned, uh, the 10,000 patient study, which we are um, very close to publishing now, um, which is you know, by a pretty significant margin, the largest ever study done on a digital MSK intervention and uh, you know the largest study on any, the largest prospective study on any MSK intervention period, not just a digital one. And obviously, some of the outcomes that I mentioned there, the um, uh, the really impressive completion rates, mm -hmm. uh, as well as the clinical outcomes that we've been, that we've been able to demonstrate in there, uh, I think that'll make a pretty big splash, which we're very excited about. Gabriel, how can people interested in Hinge Health uh, learn more and get more information? No, absolutely. You can just. Check out hingehealth.com, plenty of information there. Uh, you can reach us at hello at hingehealth.com or reach out to me directly at gabriel at hingehealth.com. Happy to introduce you to the right folks in internally. Well, on behalf of my listeners and myself, I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to uh, join us. And I think it's been a, a great discussion and I appreciate you coming on. All right, fantastic. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity and looking forward to staying in touch. Absolutely. So to our listeners, uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. And with that, we'll sign off wherever you're at. We hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. For those interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com where you can access the show notes for this episode and links to Hinge Health's website and contact information. Finally, if you're enjoying the content of the show, take five seconds today and leave us a review. It's super easy. Open up the podcast app on your phone, go to our show's page and scroll down to the bottom of the page and let us know what you think with a review. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare Podcast.